I told you, everydayers, I told you that getting the pitching was going to cost big. And man, was I right. Jeff and I are digging into the free agent pitching market on today's Locked on Reds. You are Locked on Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on and welcome into the Locked on Reds podcast. My name is Jeff Carr. He is Stephen Offenbaker and we are lifelong Cincinnati Reds fans that have turned an addiction to this team into information for you. I want to thank you for making Lockdown Reds part of your day. Lockdown Reds is, of course, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. We are your team every single day, and we are free and available on all podcasting platforms. On today's Lockdown Reds podcast, there was a starting pitcher and a relief pitcher that were signed off the free agent market on Monday. They're starting to bring this insane pitching market into focus for the Reds. And we're going to look at why it's going to cost to get the Reds where they need to go this off season. We're also going to look at the guys that were non-tendered last Friday. I mentioned on uh, Monday's episode that we were going to discuss this a little bit more when Steve returns about Derek Law and Revar San Martin and Nixon sell all getting the boot. And later on, Brandon Phillips makes his debut on Cooperstown's Hall of Fame ballot. We're going to look at that, and we are also going to look at another Hall of Fame hopeful and how his vote may give us a clue as to how Joey Votto's vote can go in, you know, six, seven years, whatever it might be. Before we get to all of that, wanted to thank you for joining us here on today's episode, this Thanksgiving week. It's uh it's amazing, Steve, that we are already here to Thanksgiving week. Like before Ooh. we know it, it's going to be opening day. It's it's that insane how time. It was it's, crazy. It's, it just it just flies by, and I mean, Reds Fest is going to be here in like less than two. Well, in two weeks, yeah, basically two weeks. So yeah, the, the winter is flying on by, and with that, the slow burn of the MLB hot stove and and the wonderful free agent market is starting to finally smolder a little bit because Lance Lynn signed, Reynaldo Lopez signed, and boy, is this pitching market intense. You know, I told you. I told you it was going to be expensive. And Never we're talking about it was going to be expensive whether we're talking about prospect capital or Bob's money. Now, look, I want to be completely clear. I don't care how much of Bob's money that Nick crawl goes out and spends. I hope he spends it all. And if that's what the pitching costs, that's what the pitching costs. But I do think the, the signings of both Lopez and Lynn bring in crystal clear exactly what it's going to look like if the Reds are going to make a move in the free agent market for pitching and knowing how this team operates, knowing how this team spins traditionally, I think it, it can kind of start to set our expectations. What's realistic for the Reds to go out and do now, because if this is what Lance Lynn costs, if you're going to go sign Blake Snell, Oh boy. You might be talking 30. Yeah, for sure. 30 so, so, so for me, I, I mean, you know, we should get into the nuts and bolts of it a little bit, Jeff, and yeah. talk about what these guys did. Lance Lynn signed a one-year, $10 million deal. No big deal, right? But wait, there's more. There's a club option for a second year, a $1 million buyout, and incentives built into this contract that for Lance Lynn, he could make $26 million over two years 
playing Oof. for St. Louis Dirty Birds down there in uh, the Gateway City. So uh, that's kind of that's kind of the 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 floor of the free agent pitching market that the Reds should be looking at. They shouldn't be looking for anybody worse than Lance Lynn. This is what I'm saying. So anybody that they're going to go out and sign is going to cost more money. And uh, I, I hope they spend it, but that's awful pricey for the way that this club operates. And to put this into perspective, because according to our friends over at SpotTrack.com, they have market value estimations on free agents and what they could cost on an annual basis. They expected Lance Lynn to sign somewhere around $7 million per year. So the fact that, and, and again, it's incentive laden, but the fact that at the end of this, he could have made what's closer to $13 million per year. I mean, you're talking about just the kind of market where Nick crawl is going to have to be aggressive in this. And I believe, so let, let, let's, let's unpack this because I know that there's a lot of Reds fans that have the disposition. They know they remember, they see it all the time. This Reds team says they want to improve, but they're not going to spend to do it. I think Nick crawl's got the budget. He knows how much he can spend. So within the constraints of that budget, he has the autonomy to go out and do it. And I think that that's still going to end up with improvements. It just might, it might dial back necessarily the expectations. I don't necessarily think they're going to go out and get one of these $25 million a year guys, but I still think that they're going to spend the most on one free agent this offseason than they have in their entire franchise's history, mostly because what they need is what everybody's buying. Because let's also look at Reynaldo Lopez because Lance Lynn's a starter and the statistics, the, the, the surface level statistics on Lance Lynn was he had a 5.7 ERA last year and he allowed over two homers per nine innings. There were some metrics and some analytics that said that that was a little bit unlucky. His ex-fip was actually four and a half and he had the highest homer to fly ball ratio of his career last year, but still not necessarily something you want to shell out a ton of money for. Reynaldo Lopez, on the other hand, was a relief pitcher. He was a relief pitcher for, well, the Angels and the Guardians, and he moved around a bunch last year. But he was a relief pitcher for the White Sox for a year or so before going to Los Angeles. The Braves are actually signing him to start. They're going to stretch him out. They're going to work him out as a starter and see where he is in spring training. Because of that, they gave him a three-year, $30 million deal, $10 million per, for a guy that SpotTrack had at just over $6 million per. That might be a starter. He could maybe I, be a starter. And he's, listen, He's a talented know. Luke Weaver. Right, for sure. And a little note on Lance Lynn. Uh, you look at his ERA, you look at his, his pitching performance. Remember that he spent a majority of, of last year pitching in the disaster that was the Chicago White Sox organization. Uh, during his time there, six and nine, a four, a 6.47 ERA and 21 starts goes over when he was pitching in Los Angeles, much better. Now, of course, he's going to have a much better win loss. He's that lineup is ridiculous. Seven and two for the Dodgers, but a 4.36 ERA in 11 starts. I think he just liked the national better. I think that it's not ace material, but it, it, it brings it, it makes it a little more clear why maybe St. Louis was willing to, to take a flyer on him. I don't, I don't think white Sox Lance Lynn is really Lance Lynn. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I would agree with that. And I think, I mean, he's a guy that back during the trade deadline, I wanted the reds to go, get because he was on an expiring deal and he looked like it wouldn't cost that much prospects to go get him 
so when I saw him sign this free agent deal, I was just like, oh boy, if this is what we are looking at, like Nick crawl has got to come to the table, not only with, Hey, Cincinnati loves their baseball, but he's going to have to have a pretty big check along with him. It's not as if they're just going to come here for peanuts. What's realistic. You and I have talked about this a little bit on past episodes, but we, we look at where the reds payroll stands right now, as far as we know it. And we look at what we think might be available. Again, Nick crawl has declined every time that he's asked to talk about what the budget number looks like. But I think 40 million is a realistic number that they could spend this off season. And that would still put them South of 90. Correct. Yep. If they spend 40, yeah, that million. Would put them at a, that's that not even 86. That's not even league average for, for payroll. So they could go as high as 50 at $50 million. You could sign a $25 million a year starting pitcher, go get a couple relievers and an outfielder. You could do all three mm -hmm. things. If you're willing to spend $50 million, if they spend $50 million, they're still below league average in payroll. So I think that fits everybody's narrative. It fits Bob and Phil's narrative about being a small market and you can't spend like the big boys in New York, but it also fits their narrative of we're going to be a competitive team and we're going to put a good product on the field and we're going to go get what we need to go get to put championship baseball back in Cincinnati. Does all those things. Now, $50 million is a lot of cabbage, both the figurative kind of cabbage and Bob Castellini's. Is it, does it have to be the red cabbage at that point? It's, Do you have to like start no, It's got to be green. Got to be green cabbage, buddy. Got to be green cabbage. <laughs> be green. That's a lot of money, and I think that's the high side. I can't imagine that that the Castellinis were willing to authorize more than fifty. Forty sounds more realistic to me. But you know, Bob wants. I Bob wants. Listen, this is going to sound terrible. I don't care. Bob wants to win before he dies. Yeah. That's the goal. And he's an old man. He's in his eighties now. Uh, there's not a lot of time left for him to deliver on the things he said he wanted to accomplish as the owner of this team. If ever there was a time to go for it and for him to fulfill that promise, it's this offseason heading into 2024. It's the 2024 team. That's the one that has the best opportunity to get him down on a field hoisting a World Series trophy before it's too late. Exactly. And because of that, I, I, I firmly believe I'm in the camp that believes that he has given the autonomy to Nick crawl to go do the voodoo that he does so well. It's just how much is that number? I, I tend to believe that you're right. It's like 40 between 40 and $50 million. I cannot believe that they would give less than that because if they, if, if, if they gave a budget that was less than that, then they have to understand they're not going to improve all the areas that they need to improve. They're going to have to leave some up to chance and everything that Nick crawl has been saying this off season, there's been some great articles in the inquire from Gordon Wittenmeyer and Charlie Goldsmith that Nick crawl understands that's not the way he's got to attack this. So I, I think that we're going to see some big moves here, but dude, this pitching market is intense. You are correct. Listen, going, going gone. Great baseball phrase. Well, the reds non tendered three, last week and they are going going gone we're going to tell you who it is and whether or not it was a good move for the team coming up next today's episode is brought to you in part by FanDuel score often this NFL season with FanDuel America's number one sports book right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets back with any winning $5 money line bet that's right throw a $5 money line bet down on any of your favorite NFL teams this week 
for the win. And when you hit that puppy, you're going to get $150 in bonus bets. That's right. $150 back in bonus bets if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanTool Duel, there's no better time to get in on the action than right now. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, Jeff's favorite, although he doesn't know how to click the under, and so much more. You can also combine prop bets on a game into a single game parlay for even more fun. FanDuel has World Series odds posted for next year already. The Reds are behind the Cardinals, the Brewers, and the Cubs. The disrespect continues. Cincinnati currently 47-1 to to win the World Series next year. Get, on, get in on that now before it changes. That line is going to move uh, once this offseason pans out a little bit more and you don't want to be left behind. Uh, you can take the Bengals on the money line for your first bet if you want to. Uh, I don't know. You got to win to get the 150 back in bonus bets. So <laughs> proceed with caution. <laughs> Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to kick off your betting on the NFL season. That's over at FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Locked On has launched its first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. It's Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7 covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts from the Locked On Network plus the national shows that cover the league every day. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. All right, Jeff, going, going, gone is what I said there in the last segment. And I picked that three word phrase because three guys are gone. Uh, no surprise here in that Nick Senzel was non-tendered. You and I spent a ton of time talking about this leading up to it. It seemed like the most logical option based on the things that Nick Crawl had been saying about Jose Barrero, the things that he'd been saying about roster construction and the things that we saw the Reds do with Nick Senzel in towards the end of 2023 in, in sending him down to Louisville and seemingly being done with him before injuries force their hands to bring him back up. Uh, also gone, Derek Law from this bullpen. And you talked about this briefly and speculated that he could be a non-tender candidate and we weren't really sure how that would play out. But uh, lo and behold, you, you kind of hit that one. Derek Law, non-tendered by the Reds. And Reaver San Martin, this one, I, I, I ho-hum, little bit I, I don't know that this is a, a big this is a big move either way but uh, nonetheless reaver san martin gone could still come back in some type of uh free agent minor league signing uh if the reds so choose uh, where do you want to start with this i think nick senzel is the biggest name and probably um ultimately his non-tender brings to a close uh one of the more recent bigger disappointments of a player that we hyped and hyped and hyped that just didn't quite pan out yeah and it, it was a bummer and i talked about yesterday on the podcast when you weren't with me that you know it was a bummer to see it end it's kind of a signaling that you cannot always trust that every prospect's going to pan out i mean he goes on a long list of names that just continue to be evidence against that uh but also i think the big picture of all three of these guys is that the reds are getting ready to make some moves because Derek law was fine as a relief pitcher. You, we talked about some of the stuff he did a little bit with smoke and mirrors. Like his ERA looked nice, but when you really got into the nitty gritty, the strikeout rate, the walk rate, the hard hit stuff that he gave up, like it was all kind of pointing to the fact he was getting lucky. 
And then with reverse San Martin, I think my biggest surprise with him is just the fact that he's a lefty. Like, I feel like a team really has to believe that they can do better if they're going to get rid of a lefty. Sam Mall, pretty good. Alex Young, decent. But there's options out there on the open market that the Reds could go improve their left-handed relief pitching pretty easily by just throwing some money at them. And Rivar San Martin's dealt with injuries as well. So I, I, I think for me, the, the, the big overarching feeling with all of this is the Reds are making room for some moves that they're going to make here because now they've only got 37, once again, on the 40-man roster. So when they go and they make that move, they don't have to have a corresponding, well, we're going to say a, a, an awkward goodbye to this guy because we just signed somebody who's much better than him. The move with Derek Law, uh, you know, in hindsight now that it's been made and you really kind of dig into it, you're right. Um, his numbers, lucky, maybe. Um, this is what I know. Uh, when you look at his numbers and you combine it with our eye test, right, when we watch Derek Law pitch in 2023, I never felt secure when he came into a game. He was not a guy coming out of the bullpen where I was like, all right, we got it. We're moving forward. That was not Derek Law. Uh, it was more like, about yeah, we talked about this bullpen could have two to three slots in it for upgrade, for, for ways that Nick Crawl could make the team better in 2024. This cements that there's now three spots, really, that he can go out and fill. One of those guys needs to be a left-handed pitcher, uh, and then you go out and you get the other two best relievers that you can get, and that tremendously upgrades this bullpen, as far as I'm concerned. The move with Reaver San Martin, he never really quite just lived up to the potential that he kind of showed us. He never quite was what the Reds needed him to be as a left-hander. And I think that he's not going to draw a ton of interest on the open market. I would not be shocked to see him sign and come back for a, a more team-friendly like deal or something. with a minor league deal and invite out to Goodyear and just see what he can put together. Maybe it'll motivate him a little bit to, to, to put it together. Um, and if it, and if that doesn't happen, if he's gone, well, I don't think it's a tremendous loss either. The Nick Senzel thing, you know, I will say this cause we've, we've beat on this for a while, but if you want to understand just how special what happened in 2023 with all of the rookie call-ups, if you want to understand just how special that was, look at the career of Nick Senzel because more often than not, things go the way of Senzel, not the way of Matt McLean, not the way of Noel V. Marte, not the way of CES, not the way of Ellie De La Cruz. So put that in perspective because the Reds hit one, two, three, four, five. They just kept coming and they kept performing well. So, you know, shout out once again to the robbed executive of the year, Nick Crawl, for putting together and bringing in those players. Exactly. And, and I think the biggest thing from him, and, and I was just thinking as you were talking about this, I think, isn't Rivar San Martin the last bastion of the Aroldis Chapman trade? Yeah, I think that's correct. So I think it was rookie Davis and, and him and some other guy that never made the major leagues at all. So yeah, just, uh, that's, that's a bummer, but yeah, Nixon's out. I mean, it, it's such a bummer. And I, I, I looked at some different things and I just keep using that word, but um, you know, like back when he was coming up through the minor leagues, there were so many scouts that were saying this dude has the potential to hit close to 300. This dude has the potential to be a top of the lineup type guy. 
And we just never really saw that. And there was a lot of finagling and, and, and different things that the Reds did with his position and his service time. And then there was injuries and then there were injuries that were questionable, just how injured he was. And there's so many different things. The saga of Nick Senzel, honestly, and, and as much as I hate to say it, the saga of Nick Senzel for this team is disappointment for mm-hmm. based on what he could have been to what he ended up being to what the Reds kind of, I don't know, maybe jerked around a little bit. If if we're being honest, this was a situation because I've seen plenty of fans reaction to this of good riddance. See you later. This is not all on Nixon. This is, this is on the reds a little bit as well, but to see it in like this is just, it's, it's a bummer because it it now brings into question, you know, who else are we going to be talking about like this in a couple of years? You know, I tweeted this out, and, and I'll say it again. You know, I was always in Nick Senzel's corner. I always wanted him to be successful. You and had his dad on earlier. I did when I had when over at Reds Alert that when he got called up that same weekend. Uh, had a long talk with his dad on the show uh, about you know Nick's journey and and it culminating in a call up to the Reds. I've always rooted for him and I will continue to root for him. I hope he goes somewhere. I hope he Mm -hmm. catches on. I hope he finally is able to put it together and has a tremendous career moving forward. And I hope that as long as he doesn't go to the Cardinals. Yeah. Or the pirates or something like that. uh, Cubs. Yeah. Go to the the AL. (laughs) I did see MLB trade rumors. And I mentioned this uh, yesterday as well. Uh, said that speculative uh, landing spots for him and uh, Steve C. If you can spot the one that doesn't quite fit here, uh, the A's, the Royals, the Tigers, the Nationals, and the Diamondbacks. Oh, one of those is different than the rest. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to Arizona, folks. Bit. He is Just not going to Arizona, but those other teams could be good fits. Just a little bit. So. With that being said, let's look at something else because we talked about this a little bit uh, with with non-tenders and stuff like that. Let's talk about uh, Hall of Fame stuff because Brandon Phillips makes his debut on the ballot for Cooperstown and why one other player's experience with the voting may give us a clue as to how Joey Votto's Hall of Fame process will go here in a few years. That's coming up next. Before we get to that, You can follow us in between episodes. You can follow me on Twitter and you can follow Steve on Twitter or X or whatever you call it. You can follow me at Jeff Carr with three F's. You can follow Steve at S Offenbaker with two F's and you can follow the show at locked on reds. Also bookmark the new sports illustrated fan nation website inside the reds.com. I'm a writer over there. Um, Steve, maybe soon. Uh, We'll we'll have more on coming soon to a website. Uh, lots more Reds analysis and news and, and, and kind of reacting to some of the moves that the Reds may or may not make and things like that. It's all over at InsideTheReds.com. And you can join the Lockdown Reds Discord page. We've got the link to that down in the description of this episode. A lot of great folks talking Reds baseball all year long. All right. Brandon Phillips on the ballot, Steve. Um, look. I loved Brandon Phillips as a red, but yep. I don't necessarily know that he's a Cooperstown guy. Uh, let's just squash this right now. He is not a hall of famer. Uh, look, I have, I, I have, 
he is oh 100% a Reds yeah. Hall of Famer. He yeah. is not a Cooperstown National Baseball Hall of Famer. Look, I have a pretty hard and fast rule when I look at players in Hall of Fame eligibility. If you have 60 or more in war and we can have a conversation about if that number is different for catchers on this episode or a future episode. Um, but if you're 60 or above in war as a position player or as a player in general, non-catcher, you're a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Brandon Phillips for his entire career, 28.4 in war. Just a little shy of my 60 benchmark. Uh, he oh, doesn't come close. He doesn't come close for me in being a Hall of Famer. But um, as you say, though, uh, a tremendous talent when he was here in Cincinnati. So much fun to watch. Uh, you know, whether he was fighting with the Cardinals or fighting with C Trent or fighting with everybody else, he was fun to watch. And and I do think he's a Reds Hall of Famer. I think that he will very soon be a Reds Hall of Famer. Uh, but no, get that Cooperstown talk out of here. No, and, and that's a tough thing for me because I mean you talk about putting him in the Reds Hall of Fame. He's going to be in there with multiple gold gloves. He's going to be in there with a silver slugger. He's he's had a nice career, but it's not the Hall of Nice Careers. It's the Hall of Fame, like the best of the best, the top uh, the top end. And as as much as we love him as a Red, when you compare him to other second basemen, there's a second baseman on this ballot that's much better than him in Chase Utley. So it's going to be kind of hard for me to see anybody throwing a vote his way. Like I, I, I hate to say that, but I I'm not going to be surprised if the vote goes through and he doesn't get any votes. Well, it isn't, it no. isn't coming from C Trent. He's not getting no, C Trent's right. vote. No, he's not. <laughs> no, he's you not mentioned gonna... Chase Utley for comparison's sake, Jeff, Chase Utley's war is 64 and a half. Hmm. So, you know, he's three times, three times better nearly than Brandon Phillips, you know, two and a half times better than Brandon Phillips. Uh, and for me, Chase Utley is a surefire Hall of Famer at 64 and a half in war. So, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, you asked me that off air and I thought maybe he'd get a vote from somebody, but you might be right. He might not get any votes at all as far as the yeah. Cooperstown dollar goes. But to see his name on there, I mean, that's that's pretty cool. I'll tell you what, and, you, and we, when you mentioned catcher, Joe Maurer also debuts on this ballot and whenever you were asking me you know you're throwing up names saying who's going to make it i said joe mara will make it. joe mara falls under that 60 war and probably a, a, a conversation for a different time as to you know how catchers compare to other positions and things like that but i do believe this how his voting experience goes will be something of a preview maybe a, a a teaser trailer for joseph daniel vado once his name appears on the ballot joey has more war and he's not a catcher but th- there's something about that hey. range of war that has a lot of a lot of uh, question marks he it. was a catcher you put some respect Boy, they drafted when, him when as you a talk about joseph daniel no i'm kidding yeah <laughs> look, look joe mauer comes in at 52 55.2 in right. war. And, and, and you know, you're talking about a 15 year career, 10 of which he spent as a catcher, his final five seasons, he was predominantly a first baseman. I think he caught in his final game that I right. think the twins ran him out there for an inning at catcher as a, as a goodbye. And he ran but, back and iced his knee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, correct. So, 
you know, probably you're right. Different show when we talk about the benchmarks. But for me, him, 10 years as a catcher, 55 war slash line for a career that was predominantly a catcher of 306, 388, 439. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Now, he's one of the rare candidates where I would move off my hard and fast 60 rule and say this guy would get in. But when you look at that and you're having those conversations, when you look at Chase Utley's war and say that, yeah, that guy is definitely going to be a Hall of Famer. And then you look at Joe Maurer's war at 55 and say, given his circumstance, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Joey Votto is at 64.4 in war right now. Could add to that if he catches on somewhere next season. I don't see how Joey Votto's not a first ballot Hall of Famer when you look at these players and the narratives that surround them and what everybody else says outside of Cincinnati. I think Joey Votto is going to continue to suffer from the long-time narratives that were, were verbalized against him from people that probably should have been supporting him more mm-hmm. that, that skewed the national perception of Joey Votto because I would like to think that the writers would do their due diligence and that's hard to say. Their due diligence and look at his career and his numbers and make a decision for themselves. But what we have determined with baseball writers and their voting is they're lazy, they're self-serving, and they don't do the right thing. So I, I'm a little concerned about it. I hope you're right. And that in the time between now and when Joey's name actually appears on this ballot, maybe we'll get some better writers or maybe we'll have changed the process. Uh, but Joey Votto deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Adrian Beltres on this ballot this year, first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, mm. I think Chase Utley will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Joe Maurer could squeak in. I, I told you this off air. I, I, I'm really tired of this first ballot, second ballot, third ballot stuff. Yes. They, their, their stats don't change. Like if you look at the ballot and you think that guy's eventually going to be a hall of famer, mark the box and don't make it about yourself. Baseball writers, just check the box and let's get it done. Let's move. Let's move this thing. And I've heard enough arguments about that too, where it's just like, well, it's compared to the other. No, it's not like it's, is player a, a hall of famer. It doesn't matter if player a was better than player B or he played in a different uh, division than player C like it, it, it's not a comparison game it's what are his stats compared to what you think a hall of famer is it's not what is Joe Maurer stats compared to Andrew Jones stats compared to Chase Utley stats like that's I, I've heard too much of that that I find to just be absolute drivel and yeah that's another subject that we could probably get on a soapbox with here but well I think what we're saying is we're we're banking an idea for in the future where we just talk about you know, some hall of fame practices that need to change and maybe, you know, discussing the merits of catching as opposed to other positions. But on the whole, I look at this and I say, Joey Votto should absolutely be a hall of famer. And I 100% agree with you that, I mean, I I've talked to fans of, of other teams that have been like, so what's the deal with Joey Votto? And I'm like, what do you mean? And then this has been in years past, not necessarily free agent, you know, the, the club option deal. They were like, what's the deal with Joey Votto? I thought he was like super good. Why is everybody like kind of down on him in Cincinnati? I'm like, well, not everybody is. It's just there happens to be a couple of other folks that tend to have a platform. They can get up and talk about it that have skewed some other people's opinions of the man who is actually a very good baseball player, who's actually one of the best that we've ever seen. And we love him. But there are some people that want him to be something he's not. They keep comparing him. They, They love the idea of him and not so much who he is. Uh, himself but yeah and i I think moving forward now as each of these hall of fame classes come out from now moving forward 
the exercise for me and for you and probably for anybody that knows baseball is going to be start comparing Joey to the new guys on the ballot and see what kind of success those players have in election because hopefully we will see that trend in the voting that we want to go Joey's way. We'll see that trend in the new voters coming in that can look at Joey's numbers and really appreciate what he was able to do in the hardest era that there's ever been in baseball to hit a baseball. Joey Votto excelled. So I, I really hope that the writers see it. It is going to be something we talk about, uh, not just this offseason, but for years to come while we wait for the eventual day that Joey's inducted into Cooperstown. And I know I'm going. I know that Jeff's going. We're going. So uh, we're going to keep we're going to be all over that, folks. Yeah, and and it also brings into relief another topic for another Hall of Fame episode day of is Joey Votto going to be the last Reds Hall of Famer? Because right now, can't really see anybody at this moment. Anyway, that's going to be where we ended on that bombshell. It's time to end today's podcast. Thanks, everybody, so much for checking out today's Lockdown Reds podcast. Make sure that you're following us on your favorite app and you're following us here on YouTube. You click that bell to get notified whenever we've got new content for you. And, by the way, speaking of YouTube, Check out Locked On Sports Today 24-7 as Locked On brings you the very first ever 24-7 streaming sports channel on YouTube. That's Locked On Sports Today 24-7. Subscribe now and get all of your Locked On all day, every day. All right, Steve, coming up on tomorrow's podcast, we're going to talk about the, the progression of a methodical man known as CES. Until then, what can people expect from you and me? We're going to keep monitoring the transactions. We're going to keep looking for the rumors. We're going to keep looking for the info. We're going to gather it all up and bring it right back here to keep you locked on Reds every single day. I'm guessing the baseball writers of America aren't coming to SI and asking you and I to be voters anytime soon. Mm.